So as we begin to meditate, we should place our left foot on top of our right or our right on top of our left, whatever is most comfortable. Yesterday was July 1st, and it featured a heavy rain and wind, which made the electricity and the internet at the monastery go on and off. So if there were any technical difficulties uh, for the various centers tuning in yesterday and last evening, this is the reason. However, today we are gathered once again, and we're here, as always, to practice the mind, to bring it to quiet, to calm, and this is our work. We try and endeavor to make the mind stronger. In order to strengthen itself, the body moves and exercises. The mind and heart, however, become stronger through remaining still for periods of time. If the mind is not strong, if it is not robust, then it cannot see truth. It's like water in a pond. If the water is murky and muddy, then we can't see the bottom of the pond. If it's stirred up and cloudy, then it's unclear. However, if the water is still and the mud has settled out, then it becomes clear and we can see easily into its depths. The chitta is the same. When it's quiet, it's as if it's cleansed of the various mental impressions which fill it at other times. When it is contacted and affected by the five hindrances, however, it's much like the muddy or murky pond. These five hindrances of kama chanda or sensual desire, vayapada, aversion, tinamita, sloth and drowsiness, uttacha kukucha, restlessness and remorse, and wichigicha, skeptical doubt, color and cover the mind and heart so that it can not perceive truth or see clearly. This is why we must practice and train the mind in order to still and clear it. We can do this through any number of means. We might use the breath as our main meditation object, or perhaps the meditation word budo, reciting the syllables boot on the inhale and do on the exhale. These are upayas, or skillful means, of calming meditation, what we term samatha kamatana. When we might doubt if such means can bring us to the end of the path, to see Dhamma, we should be confident that this path taught by the, the Buddha, if 
pursued with effort and sincerity will lead to realization. He was able to bring about realization in others through this teaching ever since his first sermon. In the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, he expounded the Four Noble Truths, that is, suffering, the origin of suffering, the cessation of suffering, and the path leading to that cessation. And this was enough for Anya Kondanya, one of the five ascetics, to see Dhamma and realize the first level of enlightenment. However, many of our minds are not yet prepared for such realization. We think a great deal, and therefore our chief goal at the beginning of this path is to make the mind quiet so that it is able to contemplate reality. And if it is truly calm, it will be able to see truth. To quiet the mind in this way, if it's especially restless, we might repeat our meditation word Budo very quickly, or perhaps we might chant the praise of the triple gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha, that is, ETP so, many times. We might repeat this chant internally nine times, 18 times, 54 or 108. If we're a monastic, we might be working to memorize even longer chants. For example, the Padimokha or the monastic code, a chant that frequently takes, if done quickly, 48 minutes to finish. This act of chanting such a long verse can profoundly brighten the mind because it requires such effort and samadhi. On Tudong, for example, or in another situation where the weather is cold and wet, where the body is unhappy and the mind is sinking low, if we simply bring to mind the Padimokha and work again to review it or memorize it, then the mind, through this deep and sustained act of concentration, will grow happier, warm, and will be infused with a sense of well-being. Its general feeling will change radically. And this same shift in the mind can occur based on any long or sustained chanting we choose to do. If we're a monastic, we may choose various long chants or verses to recite internally and gain a degree of samadhi and well-being from them. The same goes if we are a layperson. Such calm in the mind represents a temporary release from the defilements, the kilesa, and from other sense impressions, seeing as we are growing so focused. There's no need to doubt about this method. It's reliable. 
similarly, we might take other meditation objects as our basis. The traditional mantra of Budo, the breath. We might contemplate the body as anicca, anatta, and dukkha, that is, inconstant, not self, and suffering. Or we might look at the 32 parts of the body or recollect our death and think that life is uncertain, but death is certain, thereby bringing the mind into the present. Such contemplations are difficult at the beginning. As monks, as monastics, however, this is our job to practice, to bring mindfulness to the here and now, the present. Since ever, since the moment that we wake up, we should work to establish mindfulness. As we stand up from our lying posture, we should do so mindfully. As we walk to meditate, to morning chanting, we should keep mindfulness. As we go on bindabat, alms round, we should do the same. Returning to sit and eat, we should meditate and keep mindfulness. As monastics, our goal and our duty is to constantly develop this quality of sati. Similarly, laity can be considered monastics in this way as well if they're dedicated to practice and sincere, then this makes them in some sense a a monastic. A monk or bhikkhu just means one who sees danger in samsara, in the cycle of rebirth. Seeing danger, they come to practice. They stop being obsessed with other things in their lives. They understand the value of today and this moment as an opportunity to cultivate Dhamma and the practice. They work tirelessly to strengthen Sati Dhamma, Samadhi Dhamma, and Panya Dhamma, that is, the qualities of Sati, Samadhi, and Panya in themselves. And through such efforts, their Samadhi or lucid calm grows slowly and steadily. At first, such lucid calm manifests only briefly in the experience that we term kanaka samadhi or momentary concentration, just a brief moment of calm. However, as our practice develops, we may begin to experience periods of longer concentration known as upachara samadhi or neighborhood concentration. The path to these different levels of calm is to constantly return to our parikama or meditation objects, to not stop. And then when the mind does grow quiet, to contemplate the mental impressions or moods that might be manifesting internally at the time. Or similarly, to contemplate and look at the various sense impressions that come in from the six sense bases, that is, visions from the eye, sounds from the ear, uh, aromas through the nose, taste from the tongue, various 
uh, physical sensations from the body and mental impressions from the mind. If we can't keep our mindfulness current and fluid with these mental impressions, then the chitta, the mind, will automatically attach to them as self. This is the quality of upadana or clinging. However, if we are able to keep our mindfulness strong and contemplate these impressions as they come, seeing them as impermanent, changeable, not-self, suffering, then we will not become attached to them, but we'll be able to let go in the moment. In this seeing of conventional truth, we will attain liberation. To see samuti sacha is to attain vimuti. To see in this way and to give rise to this wisdom is not a type of seeing or insight that can be characterized as thought. Rather, it is a clear vision, a direct knowing. However, in order to arrive at the direct knowing, if we are one with a strong wisdom character who takes contemplation as the basis of our formal practice, then we will use thought in the beginning to arrive at that clear knowing. We may ask ourselves, using discursive thought, what in our existence is permanent? What lasts? What can really be known as ours? As we ask ourselves these questions, we see that the conditioned phenomena in the world do not fit such definitions. They are impermanent. And as we see their changeability, the chitta or the mind grows calm. From such calm, we can contemplate further and give rise to wisdom. However, the fact that using wisdom is what allows such a character to arrive at this calm is a process known as wisdom giving rise to samadhi and can be valuable. There was at one point a lady who came to Longpur Cha, who was very beautiful and delighted in her life and the world in general. Longpur Cha taught her to not become attached to the conditioned phenomena in the world around her and to see with wisdom. And he taught us all to practice and train in order to quiet the mind, not just through formal meditation, but even through sila or morality, the careful restraint that we as monastics especially take to bring our actions and speech in line with the Padimokha, or monastic code. We work to maintain such ethical conduct. We work to take our four requisites of food, cloth, shelter, and medicines in moderation, knowing just enough. And laity should practice in the same way, keeping mindfulness, 
working to uphold the five or the eight precepts and knowing what is enough. This is how we practice the mind. And little by little, through such effort, the, the heart will eventually grow calm and quiet. At the beginning, this practice is difficult. Even hard-won samadhi, even that calm which eventually comes, may quickly fade away. For a second it is there, and we experience the lucid calm in conjunction with a deep and unprecedented sense of well-being and happiness. However, then it may disappear. The whole experience in that samadhi will go and fade. And this is its nature as one more conditioned formation. It too is impermanent. Our duty at that point is to continue practicing, to put forth effort again. And if we do this, we will see that it comes once again. The experience of samadhi will arise in the mind and bring us to that profound sense of well-being again. We'll see this experience as something of deep worth that we have never experienced before. But it takes hard work. And even after it comes back into the mind, it may inevitably fade once again. This is the nature of sankaras. They rise and fall. And so we have to continually put forth effort in order to strengthen this quality. Once the samadhi has reached a critical point, however, the chitta or mind will gather and it will see the body as not self. It will see through it and encounter emptiness. It will see the dhamma and wake up to realization. And nothing has value equivalent to such understanding. This realization is the same realization that the Buddha had when he became enlightened, or at least the beginning stages of it. But if he had just attained awakening on his own and failed to teach the rest of us, then we would not have this path laid out as we do. However, because the Buddha did teach us to look at the body as impermanent, then if we have a degree of samadhi, we can break through to some level of enlightenment. It's as if we have a cup filled almost to the brim with water. If we've cultivated previous practice, then when we hear words of Dhamma, as Anya Kondanya did during the first discourse of the Buddha, then the cup will quickly overflow and the mind metaphorically attain liberation. However, for many of us, our spiritual qualities are still lacking and the cup not yet filled. And in this case, it is necessary for us to put forth effort consistently and sincerely in practice in order to attain the level of insight that results in such awakening.
we may need to use our wisdom faculty and thought regularly to contemplate and see clearly the impermanent nature of existence and of conditioned phenomena. So be dedicated. Don't become discouraged. Practice mindfulness and samadhi. Don't let the mind drift. Rather, plant it in one place and keep it there. This is how we practice, to let it float and drift to various mental impressions is not practice. It will simply follow its depression, its anger, and its various defilements. And this is why we must bring it and establish it on one object until it calms and the kalesas are, at least temporarily, abandoned. This is the path that we all must walk. It's difficult, but if we manage to put forth a consistent effort, then a new pathway will open in the mind. This is what the neurologists tell us, that mental plasticity applies, and that if we work to establish a new pathway in the mind, then we can greatly increase our well-being. So we apply ourselves to recollection of the triple gem, to recollection of death, to various meditation objects in order to calm the mind. Thinking of this mornanusati or contemplation of death, we can practice by telling ourselves or, or contemplating what it would mean if we only have one more day in our life. Or even at a more drastic level to contemplate or ask ourselves if we even will get back to our kuti this evening. We don't know. As we fall asleep, we can ask ourselves if we will wake up. We don't know. As we walk to morning chanting the next day, we can contemplate that it is not sure we will arrive. We might die on the way. And similarly with alms round, many people will pass away due to getting hit by vehicles or various other accidents. We don't know when we will pass and when our life will end. And this contemplation kept consistent throughout the day has the ability to bring the mind to calm and to keep it from proliferation. We want to establish it in the peace of the present moment. And so such contemplation can be of great value. Similarly, we keep good morality for the sake of this Dhamma. So please be dedicated. Apply yourselves to practice. And as we listen to the translation, if you don't understand, then just continue to meditate as the talk is said in English. <laughs> 